Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Judges chapter number three. Judges chapter number three, and that song's appropriate tonight when we talk about yielding and surrendering. And uh, we're going to be looking at an obscure character, a uh, person, I hate to call them characters because they're real people, but an obscure person uh, in the Bible named Shamgar. And maybe you've heard of him, maybe you've read about him, but you're like, I kind of remember who he is. Well, tonight, hopefully you learn about a lot about who he is. And uh, excited about what the Lord's laid on my heart about this. Uh, Judges chapter number three. Give you a moment to find that. And when you do, if you would, please stand with me as we read God's word this evening. Just going to look here at one verse. Judges chapter number three, and we'll begin reading. Uh, and we'll read just one verse here in verse number 31. It says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered. Israel. Let's pray once again and then I'll let you be seated. Father, we do thank you for this time that we have where we can study your word. And God, this is just a short passage, just one verse, but it's packed full of truth that we can apply to our lives that will hopefully encourage us and challenge us when it comes to this matter of being surrendered and being uh, yielded and allowing you to work through us. And God, we're thankful that uh, each one of us, if we are so willing and if we're desirous of, God, we can be vessels that you can use to accomplish your will, your plan here in this area, in our community, and around the world. And Lord, thank you for what you do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We talk about the book of Judges. Uh, for those who maybe aren't super familiar with the book, the book of Judges really, it chronicles uh, the history of Israel from the time after the Exodus until you get to the kings. And so it's that period in between from when the children of Israel uh, have left, left Egypt, they've gone through the Exodus, and now uh, they're getting ready just to, before to have kings. And so this book, you'll see if you look back in chapter number one, it begins with the death of Joshua, God, the leader that God had put there over the Israelites. And it documents the decline of God's people and what they did without a leader there uh, to encourage them to follow the God of their fathers, to point them to follow Jehovah, the one who had led them through uh, the wilderness and brought them there into the promised land. And we see here that without a leader, without someone to do that, that the children of Israel, what happens is they fall prey to idol worship and lawlessness. It's kind of like the Wild West. There's, there's worshiping of all kinds of idols. There's lawlessness. And really, Judges chapter 17 and verse number 6 gives us a good summarization of what this time period was like. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's what this time period was like. And so without a king, without a leader, without someone to point them in the right direction they should be heading, we see the children of Israel fall into this pattern. They fall into this cycle that we see repeated over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And there's lots of ways you can describe this cycle. There's probably more steps that you can add to it uh, than I did, but I just summarized it really for simplicity's sake with these four R's to help you remember what this cycle was that they kept repeating over and over again. Really, each cycle began with rebellion. We see the rebellion here on the part of Israel. Uh, they would rebel against God. They would go against uh, what God had said and what God had laid out in his law. And so that would then be followed by retribution sent by God. God would punish them. God would allow enemies to come into the land, to invade them, to, uh, to, to mess with what they had going on. And so we would see that Israel would repent. 
They would cry out. They would ask God for a deliverer. And then we see the fourth R here. God would rescue them. God would deliver them. He would send somebody who would give them relief uh, from those enemies. And then we would see, again, they would fall into rebellion and they'd start the whole cycle over again. And this happens all throughout the book of Judges. Now, the men and the woman uh, that God used to deliver Israel, to deliver uh, them, was, as the title of the book tells you, were called Judges. And these judges were not kings, they were more or less governors. They were rulers over the Israelites. They weren't uh, established kings, there was no monarchy. And in total, there were 12 judges, and you could split them evenly into two groups. You had the major judges, and you had the minor judges. And the minor judges weren't less significant, we just know less about them. And so the man that we're looking at this evening, he's one of those judges that delivered Israel. He's one of those judges that governed during this time period, and, and his name is Shamgar. And Shamgar is probably one of the most obscure people that we find here in the Bible. Now, my pastor growing up used to say, you got to make sure you know who these people are, because one day you might be walking through heaven, and this guy runs into you and says, hey, my name's Shamgar. Did you read about my verse in the Bible? And you can't lie when you get to heaven, so you got to know what you're talking about. So it's important that we understand who he is. And the amazing thing is that his whole judgeship, it can be summed up in just this one verse here in verse number 31. It says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines, 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Now, his name's only found this one time. Now, it's found, I take that back. It's only, it's only mentioned really here one time. His name's found once in chapter number five, but that's just referring to the time period. It doesn't tell us any more about who he is. But he only has one verse in the entire Bible. And that's okay, because there are people who only appear like that. You know, you think genealogies. Their name only shows up in one, in one uh, you know, once in the Bible or so. But the significant thing is that he's only mentioned in one verse. It's a pretty incredible verse. I mean, it's like, whoa, 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 slaughter, what just happened here? What did we just read? What do you mean he slew 600 Philistines with an ox goat? It's like, what, this guy, he killed that many people with that? And what's even more crazy is how he's presented to us. It's like you're just casually reading about Ehud and how he takes a dagger and stabs it through the king of Moab and his fat swallows it up. It's really gross. Um, and, then, and then we're about to move on to Deborah. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, there was this other guy, and he slew 600 Philistines. It's like... You know, I want to know more about that. It's like when I get to heaven, that's one of those things I want, to, I want to watch. I want to see how that went down. I don't know about you, but I'm like, tell me more. That sounds like one of the most epic fight scenes that would have ever existed. I can already picture the, pre the preview for that movie. You know, this summer. One man, 600 Philistines and an oxen. I mean, it's, it's a blockbuster in the making. This could be pretty cool. Um, but though we're only given this one verse, there's really a lot that we can take away. There's a lot of truth that I think will encourage us, and that's significant. The, really, the greatest takeaway from Shamgar's life, if you want to summarize what's the, what's the big picture, what's the major point, the big idea, is that God can use anything and anyone that he chooses. And that the people God chooses are the people who make themselves available. That's the takeaway here from the story. And I want to kind of look here at his life and see how he got there. But I want you to notice tonight three pieces of information that are significant. If you're taking notes, I try to make these alliterated and easy to follow here. So number one, we notice his heritage. His heritage. And I just wrote beside that, he's a nobody. He's a nobody. Look at what it tells us. It says, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. 
say, well, who's Shamgar? Tell me all about him. Well, we don't really have much information about him. But what we do know about him gives us some clues as to who he might be. The Bible tells us, uh, first of all, we have a clue, and that's his name, Shamgar. Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. It's a Canaanite name. He's a foreigner. Not only that, but it tells us that he's the son of Anath. You say, well, who is Anath? Well, if you look and you study history and you study archaeology, uh, we know that Anath was one of the Canaanite goddesses. And she was the goddess of war. And Anath was a consort to another idol that you may have heard of named Baal. Everybody heard of him before? Baal worship? We see him a lot. Uh, but Anath, again, it was the Canaanite goddess of war. And what this tells us is that Shamgar most likely came from a family of Anath idol worshipers. That's most likely his upbringing. I mean, you don't name somebody Anath when you know what Anath is and you're a Canaanite, right? If you're not worshiping that god. And so, interestingly, we're told that Shamgar is the son of Anath, and Anath is a feminine name. And so this is the name of his mother. So that's kind of unique because a lot of times when we study the Bible, we're told so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, and that's usually their father, right? But here we're given him that uh, he's the son of Anath, who is his mother. And so that's unique. And you say, well, why is this? Well, I think the answer could be found by looking more at what was Anath. What was that culture like? What did that religion look like? And so the worship of Anath was really a very sensual religion. It involved male and female prostitutes that would act as the priests and priestess of the temple there, and they would have relations with the worshipers. And so if Shamgar's mother, as her name alludes to, was a worshiper of Anath, there's a high probability that she was probably one of these priestesses that would be there in the temple, one of the temple prostitutes. And if that's the case, it's quite possible the reason we're only told Shamgar is the, the son of Anath is because Shamgar didn't know who his dad was. He grew up without a dad. He didn't have a father. His mother was a prostitute. He grew up in a home where he didn't know who his dad was. And that's significant because the man that God chose to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines, he was a nobody. He was a nobody. He wasn't someone who was a great descendant of Abraham. He wasn't from some rich family in the suburbs. He didn't grow up with a mama and a daddy who taught him the scriptures. He didn't graduate, graduate from Moses Theological Seminary. He was a nobody. His mom was a prostitute. He didn't have this godly heritage that he had descended from it. He grew up surrounded by a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans, and yet somehow God was able to deliver him out of that situation and use him to deliver his people. And that's, that's great news because God can use a nobody to accomplish a great work for him. You think about the fact that God's not limited to using perfect people to accomplish his task. I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to me. You think about all throughout the Bible, we have tons of people who weren't perfect that God used. Abraham, he was a hundred when God began to use him. Jacob, he was a chronic liar. He was a coward. He ran from every hard situation. Leah, she was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Gideon was poor, weak, and afraid. Samson was reckless and codependent. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was fearful and reluctant to obey God. Elijah was suicidal. Naomi was an elderly widow. Jeremiah was chronically depressed. David was an adulterer and a murderer. John the Baptist was uh, eccentric. 
Peter was impulsive and had anger problems. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had multiple failed marriages. Thomas doubted. Timothy was timid. Paul was a murderer. We can go on and on. All throughout the Bible, God used imperfect people. And we see here, Shamgar didn't come from some fancy family. He didn't have this rich heritage, this rich pedigree or lineage that he came from. He was a nobody. And you know, maybe you didn't grow up in a great home. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe you have some baggage from your past. Can I tell you, God can still use you. God can still work through you. You think about it. You think there was anybody who was more passionate than Shamgar when it came to turning the children of Israel away from pagan worship. I mean, think about it. He firsthand experienced what that kind of lifestyle did to his family. And that's what the judges did. They called Israel back to worshiping God. And he had experienced firsthand the devastation that idol worship can bring to a home, can bring to a family. And I'm sure every chance he got, he's smashing those idols to a nath. He's smashing those altars. And so we see here his heritage. He was a nobody. But notice this number two here. We see his homeland. His homeland. And I just put from nowhere. He was a nobody from nowhere. Maybe you know where I'm going with this. But it says, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. And again, I briefly mentioned it, that it's not a Hebrew name because he's not a Hebrew. He's a Canaanite. He was from Canaan. And his name supports that. Not, not here. He wasn't a member here, I promise. Uh, but his name supports this. And really, his heritage supports this as well. When we look at his mom's name, the idol worshiper and all that stuff. And so you're telling me that the leader of Israel at this time is a Canaanite? Like the sworn enemy of God's people, the ones who wanted to destroy them, that really only creates more questions in my mind when I start thinking about why is this guy the judge? Why is this the one that God chose to deliver his people? I mean, why didn't he choose an Israelite? Were there no Israelites that were walking uh, close to God that he could use? Where, where are the men from the tribe of Judah? The tribe that's supposed to be leading God's people. Where's the high priest? Where are the Levites? Where are the religious leaders of their, of their day? The ones who are supposed to be uh, going to God on their behalf, leading them uh, to follow Jehovah. Why didn't any of them come forward to lead Israel this time? Why are we stuck here with a Canaanite leading the children of Israel? Why is there such an absence of leadership in Israel at this time? To the point where Shamgar, a Canaanite, the sworn enemy of Israel, is the one leading the people back to God. I'm sure there were plenty of people in Israel that should have come forward to answer God's calling, but instead they looked to a foreigner to do God's job. There were plenty of people that were capable, but no one stepped forward. Instead, God used the Canaanite. Shamgar wasn't from anywhere special. He wasn't raised in Jerusalem. He wasn't of uh, from a place of historical, historical significance. He wasn't from nowhere. In fact, we're not even told where in Canaan he's from because it's not important. He's from nowhere. He's from nowhere special. And really, God, he's not limited to a geographical location. God doesn't just use certain people from one place. He's not limited in, in choosing who he uses in that sense. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on. It doesn't matter if you're raised in a mansion or if you were raised in the ghetto, God's not limited by your homeland. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God loves Gentiles because I am one. <laughs> I'm glad God can use uh, Gentiles to accomplish a work for him. God can use anyone to accomplish 
a work for him. You think about how he's done it in the past with rulers like King Ahasuerus when we looked at the book of Ruth and how, or, um, sorry, the book of Esther and how God uh, used him there to accomplish his plan. You think about uh, Cyrus and how God uh, used him in the life in the, in the, of the children of Israel. You think about Saul of Tarsus and how God uh, used him to accomplish his plan. Uh, but shouldn't God's people be the ones who are making themselves available? We know God can use other people. We know God uh, can use lost people. We know God can use rulers and wicked people to still accomplish his work and to bring things together for good. But shouldn't it be God's people that are making themselves available? And yet that wasn't the case here in Israel. We see a foreigner. We see a Canaanite who's the one that did that. You know, I would hope that if God was looking to do a work here in our community, he wouldn't be so hard up for volunteers that he had to look at the liquor store. I would hope that he'd be able to come to his body, the church, and find enough vessels that are willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Hey, I'm available. God, use me wherever and, and, and to do whatever you'd have me to do. All God was looking for was someone who was available for him to use. You didn't have to be special. You didn't have to have some pedigree. You didn't have to be from a special place. The only people he was looking for were those who were available. There were plenty of people in Israel who were talking about the deliverance that was needed. Remember that cycle? There were plenty of people crying out, God, deliver us. we got a problem. We know what the problem is. We've identified it. But there was nobody who was willing to step up and do something about it. There's only one, a Canaanite, the son of a prostitute who said, I'm available. Use me, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the work that you have for me. You know, isn't it that way today? When you think about it and you think about the church and the needs of the church, there's lots of people who want to talk about what needs to be done. There are lots of people who are good at pointing out the things that, that the problems that we have, but there are very few that are willing to step up to the task. You got lots of people who say, man, we need more missionaries. Just, you know, I'm, I'm not one of them. Not me, not me, anybody but me. Hey, we need more people out there witnessing, but you know, not, not me on this one. Somebody else can do that. Oh, we need to be giving more and sacrificing more so we can build the buildings we need. But, I mean, I, I can't personally do that. Somebody else would have to do that. We're really good about expressing the need, but we're not so willing to step up and meet the need. And lots of people say they want to serve God, but when words aren't enough and actions require, there are very few people that come forward. And that's what Brother Humbert was talking about and expressing when he mentioned the fact that in the majority of our churches, it's often a small percentage that do the work of the ministry. And there are too many Christians who are stuck in their pews and can't get their bodies into gear to do something when there's a need all around them. There's needs everywhere. Christians come up with every, we, every possible reason why you can't do something. Well, I got this going on, or, you know, I'm not good at that, or I'm not, I'm not good at working with this age group, or that's not my calling. Listen, why don't we just quit ex making excuses for why we can't serve God? God's not interested in what you're good at. God's not interested in what you like. He's not interested in how you feel about it. God's looking for somebody who's available and will say, here am I, Lord, send me, use me however you want. What an indictment on God's people that when God looked to accomplish a task, he had to enlist a foreign son of a prostitute to get the job done because there weren't any Israelites that he could count on. So we see his heritage. He's a nobody. We see his homeland. He's from nowhere. But then notice his hardware with nothing. He's a nobody from nowhere with nothing that God used to accomplish a task. Look what it says. It says, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. Whoa. 
600 Philistines? How did one man kill 600 Philistines? How did he perform that great feat? What military maneuvers were performed? What advanced weaponry did he use to defeat all of those Philistines? An ox goat. An ox goat. Surely it's got to be something. There's got to be something in the Hebrew that talks about like Black Hawk helicopters and like explosives. Like it can't just mean an ox goat. No, it's an ox goat. And that tells us something else about Shamgar. He's probably a farmer. Right? He's got an ox goat here. Uh, it was a farming tool. Uh, the ox goat, it was made out of wood. It was about seven to eight foot long. It had a sharp point on one end. It was something that farmers would use to get the ox going, to get him moving in the field when they had work to do and it didn't want to move anywhere. Maybe you've heard somebody use the expression, they're goading somebody. Uh, they're, they're trying, it means they're trying to stimulate them to action or reaction. They're trying to get them to do something. And that's what that ox goat did. It wasn't there to hurt the animal. Uh, for all you PETA lovers, people eat tasty animals. Um, but it was like cowboy spurs, right? You kick the, you use the horse to get him to move fast. Um, that ox goat, uh, it was just a tool to move the animal. And this ox goat, it would have probably looked similar to what you and I would think of as a spear, but it wasn't necessarily meant for that. It was a farming instrument. Now think about, what do we know about the Philistines? What do we know about their military might? What do we know about their advancements? What do we know about their weaponry? We know that they were way more advanced than the Israelites. They were able to melt metal. They used bronze. They used iron. They had breastplates. They had shields. They had helmets. They had spears. They had swords. And here's Shamgar with his ox goad. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be that guy. But here he is. He's going up against this powerful military. He had nothing. He was a nobody from nowhere with nothing going up against a powerful military might. But he used what was available to him. He didn't go out and try to make a dagger like the judge before him did. He made use of what he had in his hand. He used what was available to him to accomplish God's purposes. You know, never underestimate what God can do through something that the world views as insignificant. An ox goat can be dedicated to God if it's in the right hands. I mean, you think about, we see this over and over again throughout the Bible, how God used Moses' rod. He used the stone from a slingshot of David. Dorcas, all she, all, 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 uh, Dorcas had was a needle and a thread. The little lad only had five loaves and a few fishes. All of those things were given to God and he used them. They were small, they were insignificant, but God was able to take them and, to use, and use them in a great way. You know, whatever you have, if you put it in God's hands, he can use it. You know, we like to get caught up and we want everything to be perfect. We want to have like the latest and greatest. We need the best if we're going to do something great. But God doesn't need great methods. All God needs is you. God needs what you have. God needs uh, what's available. And Shamgar used what was available to him to accomplish God's task. You can work for God with what's at hand. You don't have to go looking for something special to accomplish God's work. He'll supply and he'll enable you to do what he's called you to do. I like this quote. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If God calls you, he's going to equip you. With, the, with God's calling comes God's enabling. That's a great truth. That's a great promise. And that's why when you get saved, what does God do? The Holy Spirit, he gifts you, right? You get that spiritual gift. We've taken those spiritual gift tests. God gifts you uh, with that spiritual gift. Why? So you can edify, so you can build up the body to accomplish the work of the ministry. Not so you can just sit on your pew and sit on your hands. Not so you can just come and 
you know, check a box and say, hey, I was there. I came to church. No, so that you can serve, so that you can accomplish the work that God has for you to do. Listen, if God's given you a gift, if God's given you a talent, use it for him. You say, well, it's not much compared to what others have. Neither was an ox goat compared to the armor that the Philistines had. But God used it and God can use whatever gifts he's given to you. What an embarrassing thing it would be for us to stand before God one day. And he says, you know, look, I blessed you with the ability to do this. Or, you know, I gave you talents in this area. And he asked, he says, how did you use it for me? And we have nothing to show for it. How sad that would be, how embarrassing that would be or for him to say, you know, look, I gave you these talents. I gave you these abilities and you never used them. You never even opened up the package. What a sad day that would be. You know, God, the talents and the abilities that we have, he didn't give those to you so that you could keep it to yourself or so that you could just bless yourself. He gave them to you so that you can use them for him and so that you can bless others. You see, the Philistines, they had been oppressing the Israelites, but Shamgar seems to have stopped them with this one major action. He got to work and accomplished his goal right away. And the victory was so complete that it ended in the Philistines' occupation of their land. And really, they didn't come back for a while. You look at the next people that invade, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of Canaanites and some other folks that come in. But it's a while before the Philistines come back. Because God used a nobody from nowhere with nothing. You know, we tend to focus on what we feel like we can't do for the Lord rather than on what the Lord can do through us. You know, we say some things sometimes, and I don't think we even really consider what we're saying. We might say stuff, something like, you know, somebody asks us to sing or be in the choir. We say, well, you know, I'm just not very good at singing. Or, you know, somebody says, hey, uh, we need to be out there witnessing more. And you might say, well, you know, I'm not really good at talking to people that I don't know. Or, you know, somebody asks you to give a devotion and a prayer and say, man, I'm just not good at speaking in front of people or praying in front of people. You know, oftentimes we say those things and we think in our minds, we're minimizing our abilities. Like, I'm not good at that. But really, in reality, what we're saying is, I don't think God's able to overcome in this area. I don't think God's big enough for my problem. I don't believe God's able to bring victory in this area. Can I remind you, Shamgar, a nobody from nowhere with nothing that God used. And so what exactly is so difficult about your situation? What exactly is so hard that God can't overcome that area in your life? You see, the thing that set Shamgar apart was that he was willing to make himself available to the Lord when he saw a need. He wasn't afraid to step forward when an Israelite didn't step up to do the job. And we need to be willing to step in when a need arises. Hey, if you see a void in God's work that somebody else was supposed to fill but no one comes forward, maybe God wants you to be a Shamgar in that area. Maybe God wants you to step up and take the lead on that. Listen, God gets the glory and you get a blessing out of it. God can use anything and anybody he chooses. So where are you serving right now? How is God using you? And what area are you serving him? What great things are you attempting for God? Have you let God know recently, God, I'm available. However you want, wherever you want, God, use me in any capacity. Is there an area or something that you're holding back, that you've not surrendered, that you've not given to God, that God's not able to use in your life. Hey, listen, just like in the days of Judges, God still uses ordinary men that want to be used to accomplish his purposes. And God can use you if you want to be used. So my challenge tonight is this, be a Shamgar. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed.
and our eyes closed and